Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Once again, welcome to the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Happy Tuesday to everybody. I've got a great show as Rob Frazier will be on as we will discuss everything March Madness. But we got a great show for you as Matt Ryan gets traded to the Indianapolis Colts. I will talk about his legacy in Atlanta. LeBron returns to Cleveland and continues to show his dominance and put on a show and we got a rapids game as the men and the women's team will be on the pitch up in memphis okay so let's start the show with matt ryan because word broke later after my show and i did not have time to break the news on my show but obviously i predicted this was going to happen after the whole deshaun watson fallout matt ryan was the quarterback for the atlanta falcons since 2008 and his legacy it's different than freddie freeman Because an Atlanta legend is leaving the city and going to a better team, which I think the Colts are now the favorites in the AFC South because they have an offensive line, they have a running game, they have a defense. You knew this was going to happen. It was inevitable, especially after the Deshaun Watson fiasco. But Matt Ryan... For all the criticism he gets, he was a smart quarterback, he had a good head on his shoulders, and he was a leader on the field. Now, he did have weapons. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, last year Kyle Pitts. But you take all that away, he's never really had a great offensive line. But Matt Ryan, with time, he's not the most mobile quarterback and he doesn't have the strongest arm. But he has a good head on his shoulders and he has good awareness and for that he's been the best franchise quarterback to ever put on an atlanta falcons uniform i'm sad to see him go i have a matt ryan jersey i supported his career he led the falcons to a super bowl so let's throw out the 28 to 3 lead and just think about the accomplishment that matt ryan completed in 2016 when he won the mvp under kyle shanahan's offense That was quite an accomplishment. He led the Falcons to the NFC Championship game in 2013 against the San Francisco 49ers. I was there. They had a 17-0 lead. He led in the Thomas Dimitrov era since 2008, led the Falcons to the first back-to-back winning seasons, and they started a winning culture from 2008 on, making the playoffs in 2008, beating, losing to the Arizona Cardinals, and eventually went on to go to the Super Bowl. 2009, they finish 9-7, and seven. and then two, 2010, they lose big to the Green Bay Packers at home. Matt Ryan has had three coaches. Two of them were defense. I actually thought he was going to turn the corner now that he has an offensive coach in Arthur Smith, but he's going to a situation. Frank Reich is a good quarterback developer, and Indianapolis is getting an upgrade from Carson Wentz. So with Matt Ryan going to Indy, Where does that leave Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo? You know, I actually think, because the Falcons went and got Marcus Mariota, and it's really just a move because he played under Arthur Smith. He is not the long-term answer in Atlanta. I still think 
that the Atlanta Falcons try to go get Jimmy Garoppolo because Baker Mayfield is going to Seattle. I don't think Seattle wants to take on his contract. I think that Baker Mayfield is going to hold out in Cleveland and the Cleveland Browns will cut him. But back to Matt Ryan because this is the most dead cap space in history and it's going to hurt the Falcons. They're not going to be able to get players around whoever their quarterback's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be Marcus Mariota week one. They could still draft a quarterback in the NFL draft, but they did improve their pass rushing as it's a homecoming for Lorenzo Carter, who played defensive line for the Giants. Most people in Georgia remember him at the University of Georgia for blocking that field goal in the Rose Bowl against Oklahoma. So Lorenzo Carter is a good pass rusher. The Falcons are getting him. They read up Cordell Patterson for two years. So they did. They have a weapon along with Kyle Pitts. Now Marcus Mariota, I said he's not the long-term answer. He did have a good season. In his second season, he had a quarterback rating of 96. He had 26 touchdowns and nine interceptions. When healthy, Marcus Mariota is a formidable quarterback. He's a little bit more mobile than Matt Ryan. I'm not sure about the arm strength, but the Falcons need to go into this year's season thinking it's going to be a rebuild year. Now, every team in Atlanta has had a rebuild. The Braves have had the rebuild for a couple of years. The Hawks had a rebuild when Mike Budenholzer left and they shipped off Paul Millsap and Jeff Teague and Al Horford. Every team in Atlanta has had a rebuild. And the Falcons are no different. Now, I didn't say this. I'm going to give credit to uh, Tyler Crowder, who has a podcast called Kicking It With Crowder. He said that the Falcons should tank in 2022 and try to get either Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud in the 2023 NFL Draft. That's actually not a bad move. You have franchise quarterbacks that are available in 2023. The quarterback class in 2022 is weak. Malik Willis is the best prospect, and he's not really on the level of a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud. That's just my opinion. But you have other quarterbacks that are starters in this league. You have Matt Corral, you have Kenny Pickett, and you have Malik Willis, and he is the best quarterback, and he's a starter. I think that Malik Willis, well, I mean, probably would have a career like Marcus Mariota, who was the second overall pick in 2014 who was the second overall pick in 2015. You have NFL moves everywhere, and I didn't talk about Devontae Adams getting traded to the Las Vegas Raiders and what an impact it makes on Aaron Rodgers in that division. The Raiders are loaded now with Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro. That division, the AFC West, Derek Carr is the worst quarterback in that division. Just think about how stacked that division is. The Raiders are better, and they made the playoffs last year. And, of course, Jameis Winston rees up in New Orleans. And what are the 49ers going to do with Jimmy Garoppolo? I did think that a destination could be Atlanta. He could go to Carolina. Don't think he's going to go to Seattle. The 49ers are not going to trade him within the division. Here's a scenario. Because he's having his surgery, he's going to be out for three months The 49ers can keep him on the roster. Let him go to training camp. Battle out 
for the starting position with Trey Lance. And if he wins the starting job, let him be your week one starter. Trey Lance may not Trey Lance might not be ready to play football. So why don't you let Jimmy Garoppolo, because he's still got something left in the tank, let him be your week one starter and give another year for Trey Lance to develop. All right, LeBron returned to Cleveland. He has dominated Cleveland. He's 17-1 and in his career when he plays the Cleveland Cavaliers. And really, really, this was a game where LeBron, 38 points. He had a triple-double. He was absolutely dominant in a 131-120 win back in Cleveland. The Lakers are 31-41. and LeBron James, with 38 points, becomes the oldest player with a triple-double with more than 35 points, 11 rebounds, 12 assists. He put on a show, and the Cleveland Cavaliers players were in awe. In fact, their head coach, in fact, their head coach said that their players were just in awe. He was he posterized his former teammate, Kevin Love. He did the pregame chalk. It was putting on a show. DJ Augustine comes out of nowhere with 20 points. Russell Westbrook, who's had a terrible season, with 20 points and 11 assists. And the Cleveland coach, J.B. Bickerstaff, was just disappointed in the way his team performed. I actually was anticipating this game because I thought that Cleveland, who is a playoff team right now, they are currently the number six seed in the playoffs. I thought that the Cleveland Cavaliers would have a much better performance. And they failed to do so. Well, the Atlanta Hawks, who are 35 and 36, they will take on the New York Knicks tonight at the Garden. That game will be on TNT. And Trey Young going to Madison Square Garden is always must-see TV. Of course, we got the Sweet 16 games on Thursday. Starting on Thursday, the Sweet 16. The Sweet 16 is set in the women's bracket. I still think that... South Carolina and Stanford on a collision course to meet in the championship, but don't overlook UConn. I know they were down against UCF, but they were able to come back. Tennessee was able to beat Belmont, and that was an exciting game. I don't really talk much about the women's game, but I'm really just happy to have March Madness, and it is. And I have Rob on the show later, and we will talk about some of the matchups in the Sweet 16. So the Columbus Rapids... The women's team who got their first road victory of the season, they are 5-10 on the season. The men's team is 4-11, and they will travel up to the Lander Center today. They should already be there to take on the Memphis Americans as we have two more games left to go in the season until the playoffs. And they are against the Memphis Americans on Thursday, March 31st, and the Rome Gladiators on April the 1st. Both teams are currently in third place in the NISL. And you can watch those games on YouTube. I enjoy the broadcast with Jeff Brightwell and Tim Van Horn as they will be on the call. Hopefully, I think... uh, Tim Van Horn is pulling double duty. He calls uh, Memphis 901 FC games as well. And he also has a podcast, too, called My Three Subs. It's very interesting if you are a soccer fan. And I hope to have 
some soccer experience on this podcast as Tanya Chavez will join the show on Thursday. And I'm hoping to get Eric Taylor on the podcast next week so we can discuss World Cup qualifying. And I want to get how he feels about Barcelona beating Real Madrid. A very, very compelling game on Sunday. Well, I think it's time to bring Rob Frazier on the show. We'll be back with Rob, so don't go anywhere. Welcome to the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge, and I am joined by Rob Frazier. Just a reminder, you are listening to us on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Newton, Georgia. Rob, as always, great having you on the show. Let's talk some March Madness. How's your bracket doing? Oh, man, I'm happy to have my bracket busted just like everybody in the country. I looked uh, earlier today before we came on and saw that there are no perfect brackets left in the entire country. That's for all the main services like ESPN, Yahoo, CBS, whatever services people use for their bracket challenges and their their office pools. There's not a perfect one all over the country, and uh, this is the earliest uh, in NCAA tournament history that that has happened. So uh, I'm just like everybody else, man, just uh, just throwing darts in the wind. <laughs> you mentioned on the pregame that how great the conferences have been. Uh, it was just a terrible performance by the SEC. I thought it was going to be an SEC Final Four between Tennessee and Auburn, and both lose in the second round. Kentucky lost on the first day to St. Peter's. He also had Alabama and LSU losing. Arkansas is the only team left, and I'm picking them to lose to Gonzaga in the Sweet 16. It was not a very good showing for the SEC, Rob. Do you think that the SEC was ranked a little too high? The SEC conference going into the NCAA tournament was the second strongest conference uh, in America, just behind, slightly behind the Big Ten conference in terms of the teams that were uh, allowed to be in the tournament this year. Uh, and then also their net rankings and all those other factors. I, I was very much surprised uh, by how the SEC teams did. So, um, yeah, I'll go with a major disappointment for them, and I'm sure that, that uh, those schools and their coaches feel the same way, uh, but that's what makes it March Madness. Yes, Mountain West, Boise State losing to Memphis in that first game. You had uh, San Diego State losing in their first game. Uh, yeah, the Mountain West – did not do very well. Wyoming lost in the playing game to Indiana. So, you know, there there you go. But I, I want to talk about Memphis. Of course, I had Gabe on the podcast yesterday. You know, welcome to the sports meeting. I know it's a Tuesday. And uh, I want to talk about Memphis because all three of us are huge Memphis Tigers fans. And I watched that game from start to finish against Gonzaga. They had a double-digit lead on Gonzaga. But the foul trouble that Durden and Williams got into – and Gonzaga's Drew Timmy took over that second half, and Gonzaga came back from a double-digit deficit to beat Memphis. But I thought Memphis ran the floor very well against Gonzaga, and they went toe-to-toe with the best team in college basketball. Yeah, that's encouraging for sure. And I have uh, the Memphis Tigers down as one of my honorable mention teams. Um, they're a team that obviously outplayed their their seed, um, and they had their odds stacked against them. You know, playing out on the West Coast, uh, the you know the time change difference, obviously going out on the West Coast. And my goodness, talk about a pro Gonzaga crowd! Anytime Memphis did anything, you could barely hear the Memphis fans. You know, because just the trying to go out there. You know, and and that's the thing about the NCAA tournament that's discouraging. Like, depending on where your team gets seated. 
uh, most people can't afford, you know, to go see their team in person uh, unless you're, you know, part of the players' families or you, you know, have a certain type of income status. Uh, so they did they did really well for being out there on the West Coast in Portland, Oregon, um, and I'm pretty proud of the performance they put in. Uh, in that game, uh, in a lot of these games, and we can talk about that too, which games you feel like were fairly officiated and which games were poorly officiated. I'm hearing a lot about the officiating uh, in some of these games being poor. That was one of them. Uh, the foul discrepancy was crazy in that game. Uh, the the latest Texas game uh, that they lost, uh, there was like something like 25 more fouls. All right, so I'm looking at my bracket. And of course, I picked Gonzaga and Purdue to also make it to the Final Four. So far, so good. I think Purdue beats St. Peter's. I think Gonzaga beats Arkansas. I had Michigan State going all the way to the Elite Eight. They disappointed. They lost to Duke. And, Rob, I went out on a limb, and I picked Chattanooga to go to the Sweet 16. You know they had a double-digit lead on Illinois, and I thought they were going to pull that out. But Illinois just came to play, and down the stretch, the Finding Illini showed why they were one of the top teams in the Big Ten. And, and as a number four seed, however, they did lose to Houston in the second round. But, you know, Chattanooga showed something. And, in fact, uh, former Chattanooga alumni Terrell Owens was in the crowd. And, like in T.O. fashion, he got the pom-poms with the cheerleaders. And, and it's always nice to see uh, you support your, your alma mater. And he is the most famous to ever play for Chattanooga. So let's let's dish a little bit on the best games and the worst games of the first two rounds. Uh, let's start with some of the worst games that I saw. The last four, they were still, because of possible COVID issues or any sort of thing, team that got left out could have replaced Seton Hall. Come on, Seton Hall. You lost. That was a laugher. Yeah, and their head coach is being up for the Maryland job. There's rumors that St. Peter's head coach is is going to probably take the Seton Hall job. He used to play at Seton Hall. And we'll dish on that a little bit, too. Uh, then State, Loyola, Chicago, 54-41. to 41. I mean, uh, that was – and there's a shot clock out there, but, man, they put some dents in the rim on that game. That was pretty boring to watch. I don't know if you caught that game, but that was a, a real snoozer. In fact, I didn't watch that game. It was- of course, I watched highlights and, you know, I have the March Madness app. And I, I really feel bad for Loyola Chicago. I picked them. I don't know if you picked them against Ohio State. But a Sister Jean, she's 102 years old. She was Loyola Chicago's good luck charm. Of course, they went to the Final Four in 2018. They went to the second round uh, last year. And it, it was just uh, sad to see Loyola Chicago exit the tournament so early. I think that her good luck expired when she turned 100. That's what I think because uh, a terrible game. Uh, St. Mary's in Indiana, 82 to 53. Now, you can blame it on whatever. They can blame it on whatever. Oh, we're tired from, you know, and having to come out and, you know, make the trip. Uh, that was a tough one there. Almost 30 points to. That was an embarrassing performance by Indiana. What are your thoughts on that one? I thought that uh, I actually picked Indiana to beat St. Mary when I redid my bracket. Uh, Indiana just had no business being in this tournament. Uh, You know, got into the playing game. They were able to get in the first four and beat Wyoming, but they didn't show up against St. Mary. I mean, that was just embarrassing for the Indiana Hoosiers, a a blue blood program that, 
has more pride than that. I know that they're not back to where they're Bobby Knight days in the late 90s and the 2000s, but Indiana, you, you know, you're better than that. Yeah, no kidding. And then uh, the last uh, two of my worst games, North Carolina and Marquette, 95 to 63. And Marquette, coached by Shaka Smart, who when he was with VCU got all the credit, then he stumbled at Texas, but had Marquette back in the tournament. And guess they didn't really belong there either, uh, which these last four out are probably thinking, man, we could have done better than that. You know, especially uh, Buzz Williams going on his rant from Texas A&M. They could have turned in a better performance than that. SMU, you know, anyway, so some of these teams on the first four out, you know, uh, you know, they're like, man, we, we could have done better than what Seton Hall did and what <laughs> what Marquette did. 95 to 63, getting totally blasted by North Carolina. And that, that was, you know, I had North Carolina to win that game, but the, the, the score, my goodness, on that one. What do you think? Well, I, I picked North Carolina to beat Baylor in the second round, and I got that one right. Uh, a lot of people picked Marquette. I mean, Marquette's a very uh, good team, but North Carolina, they were struggling. Maybe they were a year early. Head coach Hubert Davis just hasn't quite got his team yet. North Carolina is always a just a historic program, but with Hubert Davis being in his first season, or, but you know, he's taken over a program from legendary head coach Roy Williams. I actually thought that uh, that game was going to be a little bit more closer, but uh, North Carolina, you know, they they're actually starting to peak a little too early i mean they're starting to show that they are uh, one of the top teams absolutely the worst game uh of the first two rounds obviously kentucky losing uh to uh, st peter's but uh you know give st peter's credit they went on to beat murray state in the next round and murray state came in with over 30 wins and uh really their best team uh in school history in terms of overall success and uh, I was surprised. Um, I was happy for St. Peter's getting that upset, but I thought uh, thought Murray State would get them in the second round, and they came out and did it again. Uh, but uh, definitely the the worst game, uh, worst loss possibly in Kentucky uh, postseason history, uh, losing to little old uh, St. Peter's there. So that's definitely the worst game, worst rated game anyway, or worst maybe not the worst overall game but definitely the worst loss of the first uh, few rounds of the tournament now there have been years where kentucky misses out of the tournament they missed out of the tournament last year but this has got to be an embarrassing showing for a head coach john calipari team that time in and time out they get the best one and done players as they've had players like anthony davis carl anthony towns john wall devin booker they've had all these great nba players and they still, they have a great team, and they could not get it done against the Peacocks of St. Peter. You know, Gabe and I were talking about how the run that St. Peter's, I feel that it's going to die down against Purdue, but Gabe thinks that they could actually make it all the way to the Elite Eight. What do you think about that? I'm going to say no, because Purdue, uh, they play good defense, and also they put up a lot of points, and they've got incredibly strong bigs. I mean, they really rotate the bigs in there. They got a, a, a seven-footer down low. They're just a very balanced team. I can't go with uh, go with them that far. But, uh, but you know, once again, they, they've done it. So we definitely put them uh, under the best games of the first few rounds. I'm looking here at my notes. Uh, Richard, the best and best games of the first 
a few rounds. I, you know, got to give a nod to that Carolina Baylor game. Baylor coming back from 25 points down and going into overtime. What a game there. Uh, of course, Memphis Gonzaga, we talked about. Uh, Arizona TCU, the one that ended most recently, went down to the wire. Man, TCU was so close to knocking off Arizona. Uh, 85-80 final there. Uh, that was a late, late one there, but uh, did you catch the highlights on that one? Oh, I did. That dunk at the end, I thought that there was enough time on the clock, but that that didn't count, and they go into overtime, and uh, TCU really came to play in this tournament. I actually thought Seton Hall was going to beat them in that first round, and they took it to Arizona. They're now my pick to win the entire NCAA tournament now that Auburn is out. They're very balanced, and, and they they uh, they play the right way. Um, you know, I'm looking at teams that uh, going forward in the Sweet 16 and teams that have, you know, a decent amount of offensive efficiency because I think that becomes important. Everybody can play defense, but can you actually score? Do you have balanced scoring? Uh, but going back to some of them best games, memorable games, uh, you look at Murray State, San Francisco, a 92-87 final. That was a lot of fun. And then uh, after that game, we find out that the the young coach from San Francisco uh, is headed to the University of Florida to be their head coach. And, and he reminds me a lot of a young Billy Donovan, uh, you know, just the, the, the look, the charisma, the way he coaches the game. So good for him uh, and a great game there. Uh, that was a fun one. What, what, what do you think about that one? Yeah, I'm happy for him. You know, getting an opportunity to coach at a place like Florida – uh, actually, Florida is starting to become a basketball school. You know, they won the two titles in 2006, 2007. A lot of shoes to fill, you know, Billy Donovan. And then Mike White recently accepted the head coaching position at the University of Georgia. But good luck to him. I, I hope that he does well. Um, I don't know if uh, San Francisco, it's a very interesting place to coach basketball. They have that rich history from the 1950s. But you got to remember that like 70 years ago 1950s they were a powerhouse in college basketball but not anymore the west coast conference it's been gonzaga and everybody else i mean there hasn't really been maybe saint mary's maybe byu but gonzaga i remember a time where san francisco was right up there with santa clara pepperdine you know some other teams in the west coast conference and you know if you can make it into the ncaa tournament as you know, taking a team from San Francisco and with Gonzaga, with BYU, with St. Mary's, I mean, that's something to be, you know, proud of is is to get San Francisco into this tournament having to play Gonzaga every year. Absolutely. And then we got Michigan State Davidson. Man, what a game. I knew Davidson would hang in there with their veteran coach and that they've had for years over there, the same guy that coached Steph Curry that's been there forever, 74-73. That was a thriller, uh, and that was a fun game to watch. What what do you think about that one? I, I actually enjoyed that game, uh, went down to the wire. I, I knew that Michigan State was going to pull it off. I was hoping Michigan State would pull it off because otherwise my bracket would have been more busted than it really would have been because I had Michigan State going all the way to the Elite Eight. Later on in the next round when they took on Duke, I know that's got to be a game on your radar too as one of the most memorable, exciting games. Not really, because Duke gets all the calls, right? I mean, come oh, on. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Well, that's, <laughs> that, that's why I got I got the beating Texas Tech, but I'm pulling for Texas Tech in the next round. Yeah, no kidding. The fix may be in there. And then, uh, man, Notre Dame Rutgers, you know, to kick off the tournament 89-87. to 87. I'm, I'm happy for both of those teams. Um, 
you know, getting into the tournament, you know, I didn't have any issues with them two being led in the tournament because, you know, they had to start out in the first four. They played an 89-87 game. Then Notre Dame went on to do pretty well and uh, play some good games before before they were eliminated. So that, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, and they were able to beat Alabama. It's just great for them. I actually was intrigued by that game. A rematch of the 2013 National Championship in football, but it was nice to see both those teams duke it out in basketball. Yeah, absolutely. And then you mentioned, I'll just name some of these uh, best games of the first few rounds of Creighton, San Diego State, 72-69. That was was a pretty good battle between, you know, some smaller schools. And um, that was a a fun back-and-forth matchup. And then Vermont hanging in with Arkansas. Good showing by them, 75-71. to That was was a lot of fun. Almost busted my bracket there. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so uh, moving on here before we get to the Sweet 16, I've got the uh, top five team performances and then the worst five team performances. Let's start with the uh, worst five team performances. Uh, Number five, I've got Marquette. Let's see if you agree with my my worst five team performances of the NCAA tournament so far. All right, worst five team performances, and these will probably hold because now we're into the Sweet 16. But number five, Marquette, I mentioned them getting blown out, totally blown out by North Carolina. Number four, Indiana, we talked about them getting blown out by St. Mary's. And then my top three uh, worst five team performances, uh, I got to go with these only because they were supposed to do better SEC teams. Number three, Alabama, uh, just underperforming. Number two, Tennessee. Are you kidding me, Tennessee? Rick Barnes, the knock on him is – when he gets into the postseason, he only goes so far, no matter how good his team is. And then, you know, Michigan beating them and and that. But there wow. was a great there was a great moment there. Uh, you know, Jawan Howard kind of cleaning up his image a little bit. You know, uh, you know, had the opportunity to hug some of the Tennessee players that were crying, and you know, and and you know. So as we talk about these things, you know, these are college athletes, but uh, obviously, uh, the number one. Worst team performance of the NCAA men's basketball March Madness tournament. Not a surprise. Bet you can guess. Number one, Kentucky. The Kentucky Wildcats. doesn't hurt my feeling as a Memphis fan, but they're turned in the worst uh, team performance of anyone of the tournament so far. So that's my worst five team performances of the tournament so far. Do you agree? What do you think? I do agree, and it really gives me – just pleasure to see John Calipari lose at Kentucky because, as you know, I'm a Memphis fan just like you are. 2009, when John Calipari jumped ship from the University of Memphis to go to Kentucky, and you got to remember, he recruited Tyreek Evans, he recruited Derrick Rose. John Wall was about to sign a letter of intent to go play at the University of Memphis with John Calipari. That was the darkest day in Memphis basketball, and it I'm glad that uh, Penny Hardaway is getting them back to fruition. But are you kidding me? I mean, as a Memphis fan, I mean, we had just just great times from 2006 to 2008, going to the Elite Eight for three straight seasons and a championship in 2008. And John Calipari leaves for Kentucky. That was a punch in the gut. So it is satisfying when John Calipari loses at Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of on that same level as Coach K. You know, you either you either love him or you don't. And then 
it doesn't hurt me that Tennessee's a close second, you know, because uh, they're always uh, giving us a hard time. All right, uh, top five best team performances. Number five. Well, first of all, I had the Memphis Tigers as an honorable mention, and a lot of a lot of teams could be honorable mentions, but you know, just narrowing it down to five. Top five best team performances so far are the first few rounds. Number five, North Carolina. Just the way they're winning, uh, the fact that they even withstood that comeback from Baylor and knocked them off uh, because North Carolina, looking here, came into this tournament as a number eight seed. So got to give them a lot of credit. And they are scoring the most points uh, so far in this tournament. I mean, in their opening round game, they scored 95 points. And in their uh, next round game against Baylor, against Baylor, they scored 93. So that offensive firepower is looking good for uh, for the Tar Heels. Uh, number four, I got Miami, Jim Laranega, who used to be the George Mason Cinderella coach back in the day uh, with his team that he's assembled. Uh, still being alive in this tournament, I believe, as a number 10 seed. So I got them as number four on the list. Number three, Iowa State. All right, Iowa State, man, they got the coach in his first year with them, and their team only won like three or four games, period, last year. What a comeback by them. What a tough team, a lot of grit and grind on that team. Uh, So I've got them as number three, top five performances so far. Number two, Michigan Wolverines. Nobody, including me, really wanted to see them get into the tournament uh you know you look at the first four that were left out most people believe they should have got in ahead of michigan but credit to michigan and juan howard once they got in they won and they're still here they're still alive so uh i gave them number two uh the top five team performances and number one no surprise top team performance of the tournament so far the little but mighty peacocks (laughs) of st peter's so that's my top five team performances uh what do you think about those I do agree. Did you mention Auburn as one of the worst performances? Mainly because I picked him to win it all because I felt the play of Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler was just going to be enough, but they did not show up against Miami. And I'm actually stunned and disappointed more than than anybody that Auburn lost to Miami. And I, I was shocked. Absolutely. You could put them in uh, maybe as number three of the of the worst five. Uh, you know, uh, ahead of uh, Alabama even because, you know, what they were expected to do. Uh, And then it's a close second with uh, Tennessee, wouldn't it be? Absolutely. I mean, I had uh, Auburn and Tennessee on uh, one side of of my bracket. Just a shout-out to Chattanooga, uh, just hanging with Illinois. They had a 14-point lead in there. You know, Rob, we talked about Chattanooga on the show last week. Chattanooga was my dark horse to make it to the sweet 16. And uh, I just, I thought they were going to do it. And I was, I was really pulling for them. I was hoping that they would do it. And, you know, Illinois was able to get that job done. I think Michigan time for sweet 16 preview. We're going to start with the West bracket, Gonzaga taking on Arkansas. Who you like in that matchup? Well, uh, that's a good, good matchup there in terms of uh, teams that are well coached. Uh, Eric Musselman coming in with that NBA background, did a great job at Nevada uh, when he was out there, probably went up against uh, Coach Few a few times out on the West Coast, done a great job at rebuilding the Arkansas program. He's not going to be intimidated. He's a great X's and O's guy, pretty level-headed coach. So it'll be a great game. Um, But because it's on the West Coast, I believe in San Francisco this time, 
you got to go with uh, Gonzaga, but I, I think it'll be a close game for sure. Down in the bottom of the West bracket, we have Texas Tech taking on Duke. I think Duke is going to win here, but I, I don't like you know Duke. I've always hated Duke since the early 90s, but Coach K is not going to go down without a fight. Uh, Texas Tech, it's a good matchup. I really am looking forward to this matchup between these two talented teams. You know, Texas Tech making it to the championship game in 2019. Who you got here, Rob? Well, in this particular game, uh, Duke's only favored by one over Texas Tech. So uh, the coach for Texas Tech is very much an analytical coach. He's kind of like a basketball professor. He makes a lot of mid-game adjustments. Great defensive coach, but uh, if not uh, if not for the referees <laughs> or some sort of wild finish, uh, you know, I see Duke coming out ahead in this one so that Coach K uh, continues to uh, march on in the tournament. And now in the East bracket, we have two historic blue bloods, North Carolina, who I picked to beat Baylor, and they are taking on UCLA. Hubert Davis's first year, North Carolina has, as they have underachieved, and they're taking on a UCLA team that was an 11 seed last year, went to the Final Four. I think North Carolina pulls off the upset here. Not really an upset. It's in the East bracket, so North Carolina's fans are going to be there. But who do you got in this game? Yeah, it's a two-point spread right now. I think Carolina wins this game because they're the one team uh, that has done well offensively uh, in terms of both of their games were in the 90s, both their games, especially that tight one against Baylor. So uh, I'm going to go with North Carolina over this, uh, over UCLA in this one on the East Regional. uh, Like I said, it should be close, but uh, there's a shot clock for a reason. So UCLA will try to slow it down, but he can only slow the game down so much. Uh, So, yeah, I agree with you on that one. And then the darlings of the tournament, the Peacocks out of St. Peter's up in Jersey City taking on Purdue. My final four pick and their talented shooter, Caden Ivey, who's projected to be a top five pick in the NBA. But St. Peter's, you know, Rob, I had Gabe on the podcast yesterday. He's picking St. Peter's to continue on and make it to the Elite Eight. But I think that the glass slipper is not fit. Um, Okay, so I think Midnight has run out on the Peacocks, and Purdue gets the victory to advance to the Elite Eight. Who do you got in this game? I agree with you there. Purdue, too big, too fast. Um, They score, uh, they average in the uh, 80s uh, in most of their games. They're a high-scoring team in the mid-70s and 80s. So, yeah, I got to agree with you on that one. Uh, Purdue's well-coached uh, veteran coach there, Matt Painter, uh, and coming out of uh, coming out of a tough uh, league, too. So, yeah, I'll have to agree with you on that one. And uh, But it's a great story, and uh, it's great for that school, uh, that little school. Like you, uh, like you said in the last, uh, last podcast, the last episode you did with Gabe, you know, everybody looking up to even know where the school's at. So uh, good for them and good for their school. Uh, Moving on to the Midwest bracket, we have Kansas, who it seems like they're always a number one seed in this tournament, and they they always seem to overachieve. And they're taking on a Providence team that was a top 10 team in the Big East. You know, they have a a tough schedule having to take on Villanova and Xavier, and they've had some tough opponents. Uh, But Kansas, uh, too much NBA talent here uh nick Jobby is gonna have a, a a great game but i think kansas beats uh the friars 
of Providence here to move on to the Elite Eight. Uh, do, do you agree, Rob? Yeah, you got a uh, number one versus number four, uh, seven and a half uh, point favorites for Kansas in this one. Um, you know, if it were up to me, uh, Kansas would lose this game by 50 because nobody likes Kansas except Kansas fans. But, uh, yeah, I got to agree with you that somehow they, they win this game and move on. Oh, Kansas is my third worst team that I dislike behind Duke, Kentucky, and then Kansas is, is three. So I'm fingers crossed that there is not a Duke, Kansas final because it, oh, would, be like, it would be like a Yankees Dodgers World Series. Or a uh, – you might not like this, but uh, a couple of years ago there was a Seahawks-Patriots Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there was. But, yeah, Kansas-Duke final, uh, I would protest and not even watch that game. <laughs> and then you have Iowa State. That, what a turnaround by Iowa State. They only won like two or three games last year. Taking on the Miami Hurricanes that's been to the Sweet 16 twice under their head coach Jim Laranega that led the Hurricanes to – the final four that led George Mason to the final four in 2006. Miami's never been to the elite eight. And uh, it's just a two great programs. You know, the big 12 has had a good showing in this tournament. Uh, who do you got in this game? This is an even call. It's rated as an even so far. I'm sure they'll come out with some type of spread as we get closer to the game, like, you know, at least one point, but it's an even matchup. You know, great for both of these schools. Great stories on both sides with these schools. Uh, I'm going to go with the veteran coach uh, to get this one for Miami and uh, Miami to pull this one out in a, in a close, fun game. But uh, this may be low scoring because both these teams are very principled, uh, very fundamental, very uh, defensive. Uh, so it may not be high scoring, but it'll be a close game. All right, coming up next, we got the South Regional, number one seed, only a two-point favorite over Houston. Yeah, of course, you know the Arizona's my pick to win it all. First, going to win their first championship since 1997, the Mike Bibby-Miles Simon era. Around uh, on TV some. And then on the other half of that, South to Villanova, four-and-a-half-point favorite over Michigan. And that one, I don't. They'll not only win, but they'll and beat them by more than four and a half. What do you think? I think Michigan pulls off the upset. This is a rematch of the 2018 National Championship game. And I think the magic for Michigan continues to run on. All right, Rob, who are your final four picks? And who is going to be crowned the champion? One shining moment. Jim Dance, the whole 10 yards. Cutting down the nets. Monday night, April the 3rd. Here's what I hope happens. I hope Carolina comes out of the East Regional. Uh, I'd be happy for them. Uh, it's a tough call between them and Purdue. Yeah, I'm thinking I would like Carolina to pull that one out, but I'm going to go with Purdue to come out of the East Regional simply because, you know, they've got the easier uh, earlier game against St. Peter's. So Purdue out of the East. Uh, I'm going to reluctantly go with Kansas out of the Midwest just because of the talent and the and all of that that they've got. Uh, Arizona out of the south, and this is a tough one. Let's go with yeah, let's go with Gonzaga out of the west. Why not? Uh, so that's the final four. And then we go to – I'd have to look at the bracket, who plays who. Gonzaga would play Purdue, and Arizona okay. would play Kansas. Let's go with uh, Gonzaga and Arizona in the final, and Arizona winning the whole thing. Why not? Yeah, you have the same exact final as I do. But that'd be tough for Mark Few, though. I know if he made it to the finals, a lot of people would cheer for him just because he's 
you know, needing to get over that hump, you know. So would the Gonzaga Bulldogs be considered the Buffalo Bills of college basketball? I know they didn't go to four straight, but they would be going to their third final and losing if they lose to Arizona. I'm just saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Because there's not many teams that have made it to the championship game that often and lost. You know, Fun fact, they, Rob, can you name the last non-football school to win an NCAA championship in basketball? Non-football school to win it all? Um, would that have been Villanova? Oh, Villanova has a football program. They're just an FCS. Oh, okay. That would be the Marquette Golden Eagles, 1977, <laughs> Marquette. Yeah. So if Gonzaga wins, Gonzaga would be the first non-football school to win an NCAA title in basketball since Marquette, since 1977. Yeah, that's interesting for sure. Yeah, a lot of storylines in this Sweet 16. Should be a lot of fun, Richard, Start starting out with uh, uh, the games on Thursday and Friday and then, of course, finishing out on uh Saturday and Sunday. So look forward right. to it. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it too. Uh, Matt Ryan traded to the Indianapolis Colts for a third round pick. He's going to a better situation with a better offensive line, a better running game, a better defense. The Falcons are in complete rebuild mode. They just signed Marcus Mariota to a two year deal. And mainly that's because he's familiar with Arthur Smith in Tennessee. I don't know. I don't know if you are a Tennessee Titans fan. You might because you do have ties to Tennessee. So are you familiar with Marcus Mariota when he was at Tennessee? I know he won the Heisman Trophy at Oregon, but he did have a good year. His second year, he had 26 touchdowns, nine interceptions and a quarterback rating of 96. He is a mobile quarterback. I don't think that they upgraded, but I think that the Falcons got a bridge quarterback until they draft the quarterback of the future. Absolutely. Not a bad um, pickup by them for sure because now he's uh, a veteran quarterback. Um, you know, he had his injuries and everything like that, but he's had a chance to uh, rehabilitate his body uh, and uh, rehabilitate his career. Uh, he's had an opportunity uh, because he was a backup the last few years to uh, work on his weaknesses, the weaknesses in his game. So uh, I actually think he'll he'll do pretty well, and uh, Atlanta um, loves their football team. And uh, if if you're decent out there and you're competitive, the city will rally around their team. So uh, I wish the best for him. He's a great guy, uh, great teammate. So uh, good for them picking him up. So thank you so much, Rob, for being a guest on the podcast. As always, you're a great guest. That was Rob Frazier, my Tuesday's guest, and uh, thank you everybody for listening to the podcast and. Uh, Stay tuned for tomorrow's episode. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdry. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been The Sports Beat with your host, Richard Holdry. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.